0: Morning. This week we've got the last day. Jesus speaks about his second coming. And there's actually two lessons in your Christ Light uh, book. Uh, lesson 12a and lesson 12b. Lesson 12a is Jesus speaks about his second coming. Lesson 12b is what will heaven be like. We already mostly talked lesson 12b is really kind of very similar to the last lesson we had in the, in the other books, the CPH books, uh, three weeks, three, four weeks ago. But I included it anyway, included the material for you, so you could talk about it again if you want, but really focus on that first lesson A, Jesus talks about his second coming, which is mostly, most of what the the account this week's Sunday School story focuses on is from Matthew chapter 24, so that's what we're going to be focusing on uh, mostly is Matthew 24. In my notes that I'm giving, my audio notes that I'm giving you right now, I'm going to do... Uh, Two things. First, I'm going to go through Matthew 24 with you and talk about that. And then afterwards, I'm just simply going to go through what a timeline of what's going to happen on the last day. And I'll give you other Bible passages uh, from other parts in Scripture as well. Uh, So we'll kind of take those two separately. The focus uh, of the lesson today, the law and gospel that we really want to drive home and focus on, is that Jesus will come again. He will judge the world. Uh, and those who are found to be sinners will go to hell. Uh, we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to, to be one of those to, to go to hell. We, even though we are sinners just like them, we get to go to heaven because Jesus died for us. So I guess there's kind of two things. Long gospel, Jesus is going to condemn the world, and uh, those who are without his grace will go to hell. But we don't need to be afraid of that because we know that he died for our sins and we're going to go uh, to heaven, and, uh, and then secondly, another thing to really focus on is that the difference between those two groups is not how well we follow the law or how well we obey Christ, but simply that we know that Jesus died for our sins. Uh, we're saved for that reason, not because of, because of our works. So uh, those are a couple of things we're going to focus on. A third point, which is also going to be heavily stressed, and we're going to see that uh, in Matthew 24 as well, is that in the meantime, while we wait for Christ, we should not be surprised when it looks like everything is falling apart. Uh, And we'll talk about that more as we go through Matthew 24. But uh, Jesus tells us straight out, bad things are going to happen, really bad things are going to happen uh, in this world. It's going to feel like the world is ending, but it's not, even when it's not yet come. Um, So we'll see that as well. Matthew 24 is a difficult chapter to understand, but one of the keys to understanding it correctly is to note that it's divided into three major sections. So right at the beginning, we're going to see that the apostles are going to come to Jesus. Well, Matthew 24, verse 1. Uh, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, what will these things be? Sorry, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So notice that the disciples are confused. Uh, What did Jesus say? Jesus said the temple will be torn down. And so that's kind of where this whole conversation begins. But the apostles bring in a second question, which in the apostles' mind is the same question. They don't understand that these are actually three different kind of three different subjects here, or two different subjects with a, a third that's kind of important. Uh, and they think it's the same thing. When will the temple be destroyed, and when will be the sign of the end of the world and your coming? So they assume that why would God allow his temple to be destroyed? If his temple is going to be destroyed, that must be the end of the world. And so Jesus's response to them, uh, he kind of takes on three different points And that's how we divide, how we ought to recognize Matthew 23 as being divided up into three different points. Uh, So verses 1 through 14, Jesus is talking about what the world will be like. So the disciples make an error in judgment, thinking that the destruction of the temple means the end of the world. And that's an error in judgment that many Christians have made again and again throughout the history of Christianity. Not only with the temple, uh, but in many other ways as well the disciples can't understand how the world can continue after the nation of Israel and the temple are destroyed. That's just they're like, that's ridiculous. Uh, that that's the end of the world, right And the, the Christians made the same mistake later on with the destruction of the Roman Empire. when the Roman when Rome was sacked and the Roman Empire was crumbling around them, the Christians assumed this has got to be the end of the world. Look at how bad things are. And uh, there's been other periods in history where the same thing, like the Black Death, right? Everyone's like, oh, everything's, everything's falling apart. Uh, this has got to be the end of the world. And so people have a tendency to make the same mistake over and over again, to look at how evil the days are and say, well, this, this has got to mean it's the end of the world. And so the very first thing that Jesus does in verses one in verses uh, sorry 4 through 14 is to simply tell the disciples, look, this is the way it's going to be. The temple is going to be destroyed, the nation of Israel is going to crumble, diseases, famines, volcanoes, earthquakes, all these things are going to happen, but that doesn't mean it's the end. That's just what life is like on this, this sinful planet. So don't assume that just because really bad things are happening, that's the end of the world. So that's kind of the first part of Matthew chapter 24. Then he brings up the question of the destruction of temples, the temples, so in verse 15 Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, so if you go back to Daniel, uh, you'll notice that Daniel prophesied uh, this abomination of desolations. And from Daniel's description, it's obvious he's talking about the destruction of the temple. And so Jesus refers back to that, what Daniel prophesied, and then he he talks about that. What's it going to be like and what's going to happen when the temple is destroyed and, and the nation of Israel is destroyed? And that, of course, happened in 70 A.D., we're not going to talk about that a lot. That's not really part of our Sunday school lesson because you'll notice that uh, your, your teacher's manuals tells you to read Matthew 24, verses 1 to 14, verses 29 to 31, and then verses 36 to 41. So it kind of skips that part about the temple. So we're not going to really focus on that, but just understand that that is part of the discussion going on in Matthew 24. So then if you flip to verse 36... He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So now, in verse 36, now he's talking about the last day. So this is the the three divisions of chapter 24. Verses 4 to 14, he's just talking about life in general on this earth. Verses 15 to possibly up through 35, he's talking about the destruction of the temple and the end of the nation of Israel. And then verses 36 uh, to 51... And even into verse 20, throughout uh, chapter 25, he's talking about the last day and his second coming. So let's start with verses 4 to 14. Uh, He's not talking about the last day. He's just talking about what life will be like until that, during that time while we wait. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So first of all, watch out, he says, because many will come and say, I I am Christ. Uh, I'm the right prophet. You know, I'm teaching you the right things, and, and they will teach contrary to Scripture. Don't be, be don't be de- deceived by them. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not year. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So this is kind of like the worst things we can think of, just plague and, and earthquakes and uh, volcanoes and just all these bad things happening. The world is just falling to pieces. And Jesus says, well, that's only the beginning. That doesn't mean the end is coming yet. Uh, so when really, when really, you know, you think back to the, the, 30s when they had uh, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and you know everything was just kind of falling to pieces. If you lived through that time, it might have been easy to think, oh, it's, this must be God's judgment. This must be Christ coming, right? And go back to the fall of the Roman Empire. People thought the same thing. And many times throughout history, this is what people thought. But Jesus says, no, this is the way life is going to be in this sinful world. There will be lots of bad things happening. Uh, watch out for those things. But notice there's a difference between verse 5 and verses 6 through 8. In verse 5, we really need to be on our guard against this idea of false prophets, those who come in Christ's name claiming to teach Christ's word, but teaching us something different. This is something we really need to be in guard against. But these other things, earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, these things are things where Jesus says, well, they're going to happen. There's not much you can do about it. Trust in Christ. You know, uh, just you know, don't worry about them. Uh, Jesus is our good shepherd. He's watching over us. He's going to uh, keep us through evils like that. Evils like that are going to be a part of this world. They're going to happen, and we just uh, there's nothing you know we can we can help out when those things happen, right? We can help our neighbor. We can show our love for our neighbor, uh, but 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 it's just a part of of life on this earth. So. Um, trust Jesus and, and wait for his his coming there. Uh, verses uh, 9 through 13, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of money will grow cold, but he endures to the end, will be saved. So in verses 4 through 8, Jesus is just talking about life on this earth in general. Uh, In verses 9 to 13, he really focuses on what it's going to be like for Christians. And Christians are going to have to endure worse things. They are going to be targeted by this world. Uh, The world hated him. It's going to hate us. Uh, The world will be offended at the message we preach, and they will try and get rid of us. They will try they will kill. They will persecute, right? And even in the church, many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Uh, so even within the church, there will be arguments and contention uh, because uh, people will preach and teach what is contrary to God's word. And Satan will try to deceive us, uh, even from within the church, even our own pastors and teachers, even those we grew up with and love will sometimes uh, teach what is false and wrong. And Satan will tr- sometimes use them to to tempt us to, to leave Christ. And that's a, a point that, you know, that's a place where when Satan attacks inside the church, that's really a very great great temptation for many because they see the church arguing and fighting uh, over points of doctrine and other things, and they think, well, how can you claim to be the followers of Christ? How can you claim to have the Holy Spirit? How can you claim to, to love one another? Uh, and Jesus, well, yeah, it's, it's sinful. We shouldn't do it, but it happens, and we know it's going to happen. Jesus says, yeah, it's going to happen because Satan is going to attack even within the church it's going to happen so don't let this draw you away from christ don't let this be the thing that makes you stumble or turn away from christ 13 he endures to the end shall be saved so when you see all these terrible things happening don't lose heart don't lose faith over it jesus told us beforehand it was going to happen And especially verse 12, the lawlessness will abound, abound, and because of that, the love of of many will grow cold. And of course, a lot of people are hurt, are in pain, are suffering, and because of that, they turn away from Christ, right? Uh, How could a loving God allow these things to happen to me? And especially when it happens to those who are within the church, especially when it's um, fellow Christians or pastors or teachers who are doing evil things, it causes people to turn away from the love of Christ and turn away from the forgiveness. Last week, we, we talked about how we, we ought to learn to forgive others, right? Uh, and when really bad things happen to us, it's, it's really hard to see that and to believe that and to do that. Uh, and so it, Satan can easily use that to turn us away from Christ. But know, know that Christ said this is going to happen uh, because we are sinners. And even those we love and trust the most are sometimes going to be the ones that hurt us the most. But don't let that be an excuse for you to sin. That's what Jesus is really saying in verse 13. Don't allow the sins of others to cause you to turn away from Christ and the love of Christ and the forgiveness that he offers. Put your faith in Christ. Cling to that cross even through all the, the difficulties that we're going to have to endure. Because knowing, knowing what the end of, of your salvation will be, knowing what the end of your faith will be, salvation. But now in verse 14, but, but, even though all this ter- all these terrible things are going to happen, why? You, you might ask, why is God going to allow this? And he tells us in verse 13, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So all these bad things are going to be happening, but while these bad things are happening, the gospel is going to be preached. And that's the good news, the wonderful news that, that shows God's grace, God's mercy, that even in such a sinful and corrupt world, as Jesus himself is describing, even in the midst of all these terrible things God endures it. He allows such evil to remain and to exist because he's preaching the gospel and he's calling people to repentance. He wants them to know uh, the grace and his love and to repent of their sins and to be saved. And so God himself endures this evil world patiently so that the gospel can be preached. And we also ought to acknowledge and accept this. We endure the sinfulness and the evilness in with which we, in which we live. For the sake of the preaching of the gospel and all these evil things are not what's going to bring an end to the world, but the end of the world is going to come when God decides the time is right. When the gospel has been preached uh, and God decides, okay, now it's time to save those who who believe and, and bring an end to this world. So that's verses 1 to 14. Now, as I mentioned before, your book says also to read Matthew 24, 29 to 31. I'm going to skip those verses, and I would suggest you do as well. And the reason is because is Jesus talking in verses 21 to 35, uh, or 34, is Jesus talking about the end of the world, or is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Uh, there is debate on that point. Remember, chapter 24 is confusing because he's talking about two different things. He's talking about the end of the nation of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD. He's also talking about the end of the world. And where exactly does he make that transition is disputed. I believe that 29 through 34, he is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Even if he's not though, those verses are very confusing and I, I don't think we need to get into them with the, the children um, because they're almost certainly going to misunderstand them. So I would suggest, and this is what I'm going to do, that you skip to uh, verse 35 and pick it up there. Because these verses now, it's very, very clear what he's talking about. There's no confusion. And um, so... the we can, verses 29 to 34, we can, I can discuss with them in confirmation class or we can discuss in Bible class, but for the Sunday school students, uh, probably easier just to, to skip that section. But one point I will point out that verse 34 is so often misunderstood. Uh, there in verse 34, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Because some people think 29 to 34 is talking about the second coming, that verse is is very confusing to them because they'll say, well, that generation did pass away. The generation that Jesus was talking about is long dead. How can he say this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place? Well, that's why I would point to and say that clearly verses 29 to 33 then is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because otherwise verse 34 doesn't make any sense at all. But like I said, we'll we'll mostly skip those verses and we'll continue with verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now that again, I think is really focused on comfort to the disciples when the nation of Israel is destroyed. It's true that Jesus talks about heaven and earth passing away. So it is in in a sense a reference to the last day. But what he's really he's really trying to get at is that when all these bad things happen, when the nation that you grew up in and trust and, and you know, your that's your allegiance. You think the nation of Israel, that's our nation. And that nation falls apart and you feel like there's nothing left. What, what, what's happening here when if our nation, then the nation of America were to suddenly fall apart for some reason. Uh, imagine how that would feel to us. Like it would feel like the end of the world, right? But Jesus says, yeah, things like that happen. Things of this earth end and fall apart, but my word will by no means pass away. So no matter what's happening in this world, in this life, know this, that God's word will not pass away and the promises that God gives us will not pass away. And so we we take comfort, we take strength from that. And the disciples certainly could have taken comfort and strength from that when the the temple was destroyed and the nation of Israel was destroyed. Uh, Verse 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. So now he's clearly, definitely talking about his second coming and the day of judgment. And notice how one of the things that he really, really stresses is nobody knows when that day will come. So rather than, and this is something he's going to bring out, rather than worry about trying to calculate when that day will come, and many Christians do become rather obsessed with the book of Revelation, trying to figure out what exactly are the signs of his coming, when exactly he's going to come. Rather than worrying about that, Just be ready always, because it could come tomorrow, it could come later today, it could come a month from now, we don't know. So we should simply be ready always, and that's what Jesus is really going to stress now in these verses coming up. As in the days of Noah, so also will be be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So just stressing that fact that life is going to continue much the same as it always has been from the beginning. Uh, There's not going to be anything special or unique about that day. Things are going to be happening, going on exactly as they were the day before and and a thousand years before that. Uh, People are going to be doing what they always do and then God will come suddenly uh, without being looked for. And so we should always be aware. Verse 40 Then two men will be in the field, one taken and another left. And then two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for do you not know what hour your Lord is coming? Now, these verses are often used to talk about the rapture. Uh, So these verses, some people take as okay, one will be secretly taken uh, and the other will be left on this earth. But notice that's not really what Jesus says. He doesn't say that they will be secretly taken. And that that idea of the rapture, that some people will just disappear from this earth and life on this earth will continue as it was. Uh, I I can see how people would get that from these verses, but it's not actually what Jesus says. He simply says one will be taken and the other will be left. He doesn't really, in these verses, talk about what will happen to those who are left. And he's just emphasizing the fact that you could be out there working side by side with another person and Jesus is going to come. And because you have faith in Christ. Sorry, short interrupting interruption there. I got an important phone call I had to stop for. But anyway, one will be taken another left. The only thing we, we should see this as, one will be taken to, to be in heaven and the other will be uh, left uh, to perish uh, in hell. It, it doesn't really specify what's going to happen to the two. But the just the main point is, you don't even know. You don't even know the hearts of people. you, you work working right side by side with somebody your whole life and assume they're a good Christian, uh, but they, they don't really believe in Jesus, and they don't really repent of their sins, and uh, you wouldn't even know. Only God knows the hearts. Uh, verse 42, this is the <clears throat> what Jesus is really trying to drive home. Watch, therefore, for you, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known one hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And any parable that Jesus gives us, uh, and it's a pretty short one, verse 41, verse 40 and 41, but it's still kind of a parable. Uh, two men will be in the field, one taken, one the other left. When Jesus himself tells us what the point of the parable is and the lesson we're supposed to take away from it, we need to be careful to, okay, that's the lesson we take away from it and not more than what he says. And so Jesus tells us straight out what we are supposed to understand from verses 40 and 41. And the thing we're supposed to understand is watch and be ready because we do not know when he is coming. But we should live our life to Christ, um, trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins, knowing that we are forgiven in him and we don't need to fear his coming then because we know that he will take us to be with him. So that's the lesson we're supposed to learn from verses 40 and 41, not the this idea of a secret rapture that some believers will go to heaven and and some people will be left on this earth for seven years or uh, etc. So that's Matthew 24. And as I mentioned, I'm also going to quickly run over what does scripture tell us about Jesus's coming. Now, Two things uh, that we need to know about his his second coming. There are two things that Jesus says must happen before he comes. The scripture tells us must happen before he comes. Uh, the first is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD and which we, we saw in, in Matthew 24 in those verses that we skipped over. And the second is the revealing of the man of perdition, as, second Thessalon- as Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians 2, Uh, what's often called the Antichrist. Uh, So the Bible tells us that there will be this agent of Satan who will take up residence. He will sit within the church pretending to be a part of the church, uh, but actually deceiving many people, and that this man will be revealed before the end. Uh, That almost certainly is a reference to the Pope, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Some people would disagree and say it's talking about somebody else, but almost certainly a reference to the Pope, and again, we're not gonna, I'm not going to go into that with you, and I don't expect you to go into that with the Sunday school students, but just so you're aware, I know it. So both of those things that the Bible tells us must happen before the end comes has happened. Some people, we heard those words that the gospel will be preached the ends of the earth, and so some people have taken that to mean uh, that everybody living will hear the gospel, and once the gospel has been preached in every nation, every city, every village on the world, then at that second, God, Christ will come again. But again, that's not really something that the Bible says. It says that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the world. It, it doesn't say that the second the gospel is preached to the ends of the world, that the end will come. It simply says the, the gospel will be preached throughout the world, and certainly the gospel has been preached uh, throughout the world. So Christ's coming could at this point come at any time. For so the the disciples, the first-century believers, they knew that he he wasn't going to come quite yet because there was a couple things that had to happen first, but those things have happened. He could come at any time. Uh, life will be just normal, as we saw in Matthew 24, and then all of a sudden Christ will come. He will appear in the sky. He will come with the sound of trumpets. All people will see him immediately. Uh, that's stressed uh, in Matthew 24, uh, verses 44, and also verses, well, mainly verse 44. Uh, in other places of scripture as well. Also uh, there's no secret coming of Christ. The Bible's very clear. Everyone will see him. Uh, there there won't be any question. I remember one time I woke up cuz I, I woke up when I was younger cuz I heard this huge loud noise and my first thought was, "Oh, is that the last day?" <laughs> well, I waited a couple seconds and it didn't nothing else happened and I didn't see Jesus. So, okay, that's not the last day cuz you would know instantly if it was. Uh, No, it's not, you don't need to run around throughout the world saying, oh, did I miss it? Did I miss it? We will know uh, when that last day comes. The first thing Jesus will do after he comes is raise all the dead. That is, our bodies, which are dead and buried in the earth or cremated and scattered wherever, uh, will be raised from the dead. John 5, 28 and 29 uh, reminds us of that. Then after he raises, and so some people will still be alive when he comes again, right? So there will be those who are, uh, physically, bodily, still alive when Jesus comes. And then there were many who whose bodies are dead and buried in the earth. So all those who are dead, their physical bodies are dead, will be raised. And then both those who were alive and then also those who are now alive, because they were dead and Jesus raised them from the dead, will be caught up together, all people, to face the judgment. And Matthew... Uh, uh 25, 31 talks about that. And then also Matthew 25, 32 to 46 talks about how uh, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep will go to everlasting life. The goats will go to eternal damnation. Um, Jesus makes it clear. He, Jesus will talk about their works. Uh, he will say to those he sends to hell, he will say, you didn't visit me in prison. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And He will say to those who, who go to heaven, uh, you did visit me. But even though he'll talk about their works, the difference is their faith. And Jesus Himself makes this clear because the believers respond to Jesus. When did we do this? When did we do this? Uh, and Jesus says, "Well, you did the least of my brethren." So because you did, because you lived your lives in faith, and whatever you did then, when we live our lives in faith, whatever we do is done to Christ and through Christ. Even though it may not, we may not be that very good at doing what's right. Uh, it's it's still done to Christ, and so it's that that knowledge that he has forgiven our sins, that's going to make the difference. And after the uh, people are separated, uh, the believers go to eternal life and the unbelievers go to eternal damnation. And in Matthew 25, it's important to note the same word is used, eternal life, eternal death, eternal fire. Um, so Deho- or the or um, Jehovah's Witnesses try and teach that, Uh, Those who are condemned, those who are unbelievers, they're not going to live in hell. They're not going to live in torment. They're just going to cease to exist. But Matthew 25 is very clear because it uses that same word, eternal life, uh, eternal fire, that it's the same thing. It's the same amount of time. Just as the believers will live forever with Christ, the unbelievers will live forever without Christ. It's just a different place. Uh, 2 Peter 3 picks up at that point. Uh, Matthew 25 really focuses on that separation of the, the sheep and the goats, but 2 Peter 3 continues from that point to tell us what will happen after that. This universe will be destroyed. This earth and everything that is in it will be burnt up with a fervent fire. It will be melted and completely destroyed, and then a new heavens and a new earth will be created. And I, I believe we ought to take 2 Peter 3, 13 as special talking physically. Uh, We're not going to be floating around in the clouds, but God is going to create a new earth like this one, but without sin. So we'll be living in the Garden of Eden the way it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve sinned. Sorry, the notes were a little bit longer. There's a lot to go over here. Uh, Let me know if you have any questions or concerns. Um, Good Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson this week.